0: Best. All right. One of the joys and privileges of being here on staff for so many years is I get to show some good old-fashioned uh, 90s uh, movies. Connor, on your way out, could you shut uh, those doors back there so when junior hires come out, I won't, they won't just walk in here? In middle school, you just walk into an open door. That's what you do. So I love, love them, though. That is the movie Cool Runnings. And so it's, uh, I showed this to uh, also in Great Adventure. When I get to drive the van that always has the DVD player, because it's the one with the trailer attached to it, we get to show old movies. So me and the junior hires in July got to watch all three of the Mighty Ducks movies. I showed them, I, yeah, was teaching them. And so there's a, you know, the picture there, the first one, it's a a movie of 1993, cool running's about... Uh, based on a true story, but they, you know, they had to Hollywood it up a little bit to get people to watch it, and they did a good job with the movie. It's a feel-good film, for sure. A little John Candy in there, almost in every 90s film. There you go. So it's about a story of these uh, Jamaican uh, sprinters, and they, uh, well, you're about to get the movie ruined anyway, so here we go. Uh, but they, they are trying to get to the Olympics, and something happens, and they are not able to um, get into the, the track. Part of that, and so they said, "You know what? There's a Winter Olympics. We can do something there." And so they made the bobsled team, and so they went there, based on a true story, and the movie plays it well. And that was part of their that's their last run, and so you got to see them. It's amazing that they're even in the finals right there, and they make one last run, and they were making a great time, and then the sled was not great, and then oh, you saw they crashed, and we're gonna watch before you go to other groups. You'll see what happens after that of the coach looking at the captain, the, the steer, or whatever. Um, and he says, I'll see you at the finish line. And they, they almost made it to the finish line. You saw it. They were on the last uh, kind of straightaway there. And they had their eyes on the finish line, whatever it takes mentality, and they fell. And the race has, as we know it right now, before you get to watch it in about 20 minutes, hope you can take it. Hope you can handle it. The moment. I know some people are shaking their head they can't, but I'm sorry we can't watch the rest right now. There's an order to this. So man, I'm so glad to be here on the week two of this awakening series. We started last week, of course, and we we wanted to do this series in January because it's a new decade, and we asked you a couple questions, and in small groups as well. We said, how do you want to define the next decade of your life, or at least the next year? How do you want the next 10 years to go? And we looked at that Why awakening? Well, because some of us may be sleeping through this life. We may be hitting the snooze on the Holy Spirit. We may be on the sidelines, out of the game, not really participating. Saved, sure. Thank you. But the next 20 years are about me, God. I can, I can, I can wake up, I can start living for Christ when I'm older. I don't need to start now. Maybe that's our mentality if you're really honest. Maybe you're arriving here last week and this week. And you're still at that place. Yes, Keats, okay, that's me. Um, If we were to write our names down, a little label, yes, no work, putting no work into my relationship with God, that's me. Um, Sort of ashamed about it. (laughs) Don't go telling everyone about it. But it's fun. You know, coming to Elevate's great. Get to make some friends. And I love that you're here. I just want more for you, and I just want to challenge you. That's why I'm here. And so some of you still need an awakening. You need to wake up to see what God has right in front of you, what you could be living how you could be living life right now. I want you to have a clear vision moving forward to look back when it's 2030, look back at this last decade and say, wow, what a decade, what a time to be alive. Thank you, God. You changed me from the inside out. You used me in so many ways. That's what I want for you. That's my prayer. I'm trying to look ahead and just pray that. And so we wanted to have this two-week series before we do Pegfest next week where you're going to throw... Get out your uh, your anger and your frustrations through dodgeball. That's great. We have two divisions: a girls' division, a guys' division, and in each of those divisions, you have also a costume competition. So we have four different teams that will win gift cards at the end. So I would definitely make sure and get there for sure. But we looked at last week. We looked at waking up, waking up our faith in Christ, and tonight we're going to look at what it means to walk out that faith in Christ. We looked at waking up last week. We're going to look at what does it mean to practically walk out our faith in Jesus. What is this life anyway? And you're about to see that it's compared to a race. If we have some athletes in the room or an athletes not alike, you could also have watched a race. And so we're going to see someone do that tonight. The author of Hebrews writes a letter. We don't know who wrote it. People have their ideas. The author of Hebrews writes a letter to a group of persecuted believers, as we know them. We, we take it to be they're actually Christians, and they're just under deep persecution. And he writes to us tonight as well. And so if you're sitting here tonight, who is this for? Where is this message going to land? If you're sitting here tonight, and you were maybe in a pit or a valley, if it's the season of highs and lows, you're maybe in the lows. Persecution may be around you, or trouble at least. Maybe just apathy. You don't give a, a care. This is for you. And it's very simple. We're only in two verses tonight. And there's some verses you've heard, but I love getting to share these all together. And to say, this is where that is. And watch this. The author of Hebrews. Ask me later who I thought right who I think writes Hebrews. Just verse chapter 12 of Hebrews, uh, verse 1. You've heard this before, maybe. We're gonna look at this. It says, Therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, by so great a cloud of witnesses, already you're like, oh yeah, I was at sports camp once, this was our theme verse for the week, great. Therefore, since we are surrounded, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, lay it aside, and sin which clings so closely to us, and, here we go, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here we go, okay, we want to walk out, (laughs) it you tricked us there, Waking up faith, walking out faith. It doesn't say walk, it says run. You got me. That's true. You've heard this before, maybe. But the author is doing something amazing here. So just let it unfold for the next few minutes. Give me the next few minutes. And to read this with fresh eyes, with a new heart. Because what he's doing in the first kind of section there of verse 1, he says, therefore, we're surrounded. Look at this. We are surrounded by what he calls a great cloud of witnesses. We'll get to that word cloud in a minute. Kind of confusing, right? Talking about weather a little bit. Is it going to rain like today? Well, in chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. You've probably had a sports camp about that too. And the author of Hebrews writes about all these amazing kind of Hall of Famers that had these great faith as they walked in the earth. People like the Abel, all the way back from Abel to Enoch to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. I know a lot of that's Genesis. He's talking about these kind of all stars of faith and how they walked out their faith in God, chapter 11. And so he begins this by kind of the, the end. Chapter 12 is almost just chapter 11. At the end, he's saying, okay, we just saw that crazy faith that moved mountains, these people, Hall of Famers, and you're surrounded by them. They're like clouding over you. (laughs) It can mean a couple of things. As he says, you're surrounded. That's kind of, don't feel like creepy, feel loved, okay? They are presently viewing our actions kind of like as spectators as we're on earth now. And also because their time on earth, um, they live by extreme faith. These are Hall of Famers looking as spectators watching you. It says cloud because they, aren't, uh, they don't have the resurrected bodies yet. But think kind of like a swarming effect. They are, they are surrounding you kind of like this huddle, watching on, looking on to us now as we live our life on earth. Cloud witnesses. I know this, I, I don't like doing a lot of uh, sports references, spe- specifically football, because I want to make sure to include everyone. But there is something that's maybe a little above football, and that's the Heisman ceremony. All right. And so the, the best college athlete... On a, on a football team gets named every year and given the Heisman Trophy and it's a, it's a voting thing. But I always love the Heisman ceremony and it was very unanimous this year, some years it's not, but it's always great to see everyone come out, mostly. <laughs> Most of uh, the past still living, of course, candidates or old Heisman winners are on the line and they're showing their love and support for that new gentleman who's gonna be there. And this year was pretty emotional. And they're all there, and you just see them, the love. You see the yes, we say yes to this. And they're, they're the Hall of Famers behind them. They're incredible, and they're bearing witness to this occasion. Kind of think something like that. When you're in a sports game, or if you're acting on stage, whenever you, maybe you're on stage, or even, I don't know, you're at a Spelling Bee tournament, and you look out in the crowd, and you see someone that you know, and they're smiling. You know you're backed up, you're supported. Okay, I can do this. I'm still really nervous. But you look in the stands, and you're like, wow. All right, so I'm surrounded by these cloud of witnesses. I feel, okay, so what? Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. He's saying, okay, we're surrounded by these Hall of Famers in this life. He's saying, now, let's talk about running. He says, first, lay aside every weight and that kind of impedes your running this race. It slows you down. Lay aside anything that is non-important. The weight here translates to, it can translate to like a bump or swelling. And it's where we actually get the word um, for tumor. It's just like this kind of growth that happens. And it's saying like, hey, this, these weights, this lay aside every weight and sin. It's these burdens that we can kind of pick up. It's this baggage we can kind of pick up and it slows you down the race it's saying lay that aside it's like if I were to ask when you up here right now and I had like a and I asked you to like five guys we don't have time for this if I asked like five guys to like try and lift this piano up or however many guys it could take say we get say we somehow five guys could lift that piano it's very heavy how long could you actually function could you move The author is saying, hey, hey, just check yourself. Some of you may be trying to run this race called life. Carrying a piano just doesn't make sense. Just drop the piano. You don't have to carry it. It's a burden. It's excess. It's an added weight, added burden. And let us what? Let us run with endurance. The last part, the race. He uses that word race now. We're in a race. Maybe some of you are like, I didn't know. Am I winning? Well, you'll find out. That is set before us. We first lay aside the weights and sin, then we run. It's kind of one command with two actions. Lay this aside, all these burdens, get rid of the the excess weight, and run. Just run. Run your race. Run the race. Lay aside anything not important that you really don't need in order you can run this race successfully and to the best of your ability. Maybe get rid of things in your life that aren't necessarily even bad. The idea of the weights and sin, the weights part is maybe just a couple good things. Maybe there's some, you know, things within themselves that are actually just good. They're not necessarily bad or sin, but maybe they're in your life and they're slowing you down. I've heard of friends, you know, you have that friend or friends that try and give up having a smartphone. You've seen people go through that process. They're like, hey, I'm, they're trying to make, and they try to be like vocal about it. They're like, hey, I'm trying to, this is a not in itself. It's not necessarily bad, but it's really slowing down my walk with God. Or maybe it is a sport that's really taken over your life, and you're in it for the wrong reasons. Tennis in itself ain't bad, but what's happened in your life has this become this burden to you, and it's slowing you down in this race. It's causing all sorts of pressure to dwell inside you. Or maybe it's in this this really advanced glass and it's just eating your lunch and something like a couple, you know maybe it's even new you're like two weeks in you're like i don't how am i already behind we had homework what like maybe it's not necessarily bad but maybe it's a burden in your life an added weight and it's deeply impacting even who you are and definitely the speed you're running towards Christ but maybe i'm wrong maybe none of you have those added weights but some of us have that added sin that sin that it says which clings so closely. It's like a bump. It's just like, wit- it's, it's who you are. It's kind of like on you. You can't get rid of it. You cling so closely. You run back and back to it. New things come up, new temptations. Hey, eh, you're over that. But you go back to this one thing. And you feel like it's just your thing, and you're all alone. And you're like, what? how am I the only one that's struggling with this? And let me tune, tune you in. You're not. But the enemy wants you to feel that way. He wants to bury you, as we saw last week, and put you on a stretcher and take you outside of town to kill you, to steal, and destroy, to steal all your joy, to bury you in the ground. But there's hope. Because the author here knows you're going to face this. That's why he's writing this. He's writing to a group of very, very, very persecuted Christians, persecution we do not know about. Anytime that these people's faith maybe went public, they could be killed. That type of persecution. The author telling us, is he's really just showing us how do you finish a race well. He uses that word endurance, which talks about this. Let's talk about your spiritual shape. Let's talk about our spiritual shape. Have you ever thought about that? How much does your faith uh, bench press? I know you've got the, this shirt that says you're in the, I don't know, the club, you know, 300 up close. I don't know. But, hey, how much does your faith bench or squat or run? My, how's your, what's your faith's fastest mile? There you go. Paul knew life was a marathon, not just a series of sprints. Paul knew life was a marathon and that you need endurance. That's why Paul wrote, we know Paul wrote in Corinthians. You've heard this before in another summer camp. Do you not know, in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that in race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul knew about running too. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we have an imperishable. So we do not run aimlessly. I do not box as a beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching it to others, I should be disqualified. Paul knew that life was a marathon and you needed endurance. And he wanted to make it to the finish line. He wanted to hear, good and good job, my faithful servant. And Paul talks about this crown in there. There's actually, this is a fun little study you can look up on your own. There's actually, as a believer, there's actually um, a judgment seat for us, a judge, judgment seat of Christ. And at it, based on how you're actually living on earth, you can receive up to what some believe to like five different crowns of just honoring how you serve Christ on earth. And that's, that's just a sermon a sermon. But a lot of authors back then compared a lot of things to, to a race. And so this is not uncommon for the, the author of Hebrews to a group that's persecuted to talk about this race and say, hey, you're going to have trouble, but look at the finish line. Run your race. You know, for some of y'all, pretend you're standing, talking about thinking about your spiritual shape. Where, where would it rank, you know? Pretend you're standing on... Uh, the highest stage of whatever you're in, maybe it's uh, academics or sports, the arts. Maybe it's December and you're at that the championship level thing. Maybe you're at the championship and you're on the field, about to play the game. Are you playing that game? Are you playing in that competition? Are you, are you participating because you woke up the day before and said, Okay, I think I'm gonna start trying right now? I think I wanna start trying today. You did not. All the work started the January before. When you were getting in the weight room, when you started running at 6 a.m., when you started taking it seriously. It's called an off season. Every kind of every sport has one. Are you putting in the work for the long haul? Is it, is it a marathon to you? Or you just kind of want to cut corners and see what happens? We run the race, and we do something else while we run the race. Fixing our eyes to Jesus, on Jesus, verse 2. We're running, we're laying aside sin and these added burdens so we can run faster. And what else are we doing? It's saying, look up. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of our faith. A lot of your translations may have a lot of different things. Looking to Christ, put it simply. Looking to Christ. Our primary primary focus um, throughout the highs and lows, throughout everything, is eyes on him. Eyes on him. We saw Peter struggle with this when he put his eyes on Jesus in the middle of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Crazy storm. Wind was turning it up. And Jesus out there just walking on water, minding his own business, (laughs) walking towards them. And Peter leaps aside and keeps his eyes on Christ, and he's fine. He takes his eyes right off of Christ and he starts to sink. In this race, how do you stay in your lane? How do you go as fast as you can? You look up, you look to Christ, you seek his face, eyes on him. He's he's like our compass, he's our guide home. This way home, follow me. Maybe you'll be home in time for supper. He's our captain, our leader. Uh, This is also a cool version of this verse. He's our pioneer of faith. He's our pioneer. He was on earth and had great faith before us. He's someone we can look to as a role model, an example. That's discipleship, by the way. That's why you have leaders in the room. But the cool thing about Christ's church is we're all running towards him. We have that in common. He's our primary model on how to persevere. His example He's really just a prize. He's our prize. At the end, what what makes it paradise is he's hanging on the cross. And says a thief. Paradise is with Christ. It's we're with him. You're our prize. Great. Oh, I get these little crowns. Whatever. Cast him away. Casting crowns. (laughs) All right. I'll just cast him down. You're my prize, Lord. I'm so glad I ran after you my whole life on earth. I want that life for you. A life of just fulfillment. What did he do for us? The author writes so beautifully in this text, which the cross isn't talked about a ton outside of Pauline epistles in the New Testament, and so this is a really, really cool verse. It talks about the cross and he says, this is what Jesus did for us. He uses Jesus and not Christ here because Jesus was his human name, so we really want to see his humanity here. Jesus was fully God and fully human, looking to Christ, fixing our eyes on him, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He endured the cross despising the shame despising the shame you don't see that often that word shame but think about it think about his death think about what he went through despite what he could have done he could have called down angel, armies of angels to come rescue him but he drank the cup and said yes to the father's will and said I'll go to the cross for the sins of the world I'll do that. That's not going to be easy. And there was many stages of crucifixion that Christ endured for us. And the first, they would, at least for the Romans, uh, with a flogging of the victim's back, and they used a whip with little chunks of, of bone and metal in it. And the number of hits in Jewish law was 39. And during this process, they would rip a lot of the skin off the back, and they would almost just try and cripple the victim. And most of them just died here because of the loss of blood, or they were unconscious. And Jesus faced all that plus so much else. Being mocked the whole time, um, had his beard plucked out, a crown of thorns placed on his head, spat at him, yelled things like this, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is that that struck you? And just as prophesied, just as prophesied thousands of years earlier from a prophet Isaiah, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. And Jesus didn't either. He did nothing wrong. But they said, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus faithfully took a next step in his race. He carried the cross for us. A hundred pound crossbar. When you go to Israel, you can walk a path, I think, many, many different paths. But it, it's, a, it's a long hike without a hundred pound crossbar. Over two, at least two football fields. And he did this all for you and all for love. Seven-inch nails driven through his wrists and feet, having to push up constantly to breathe, having gone through everything he just did. On top of that, Jesus did this. And nothing in the world, all of that, was nothing compared to God's wrath, which was also falling on Jesus, on his shoulders, on his weakened shoulders. And Jesus willingly did this. That's his race he ran. That's who we're looking at, okay? Okay. So you can get through whatever you're getting through. We can do this. Not alone. We run our race and we seek his face. And then Jesus breathed his last and gave up his spirit. He died. He really died on the cross. That's important. He really died. But if our story ended with death, we wouldn't even be here. Look where he's at now. The end of our verse. And is seated. That just all happened. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is now seated in heaven. Incredible. He rose again. We'll celebrate in a couple months in Easter. We celebrate it one Sunday, one day. But you should wake up every morning in the first words to be, yes, thank you for rising from the dead, Jesus. I can wake up and have life. Thank you. It really should. If we really got what the resurrection means. He's seated there now. Second Timothy 4.7, Paul writes again, I, have, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul knew it. He wanted to finish the race. He wanted to keep the faith. And the author of Hebrews is dead set on us getting that as well. We can run this race with endurance despite hardship and shame because we know what's ahead. We know where we're going to end up. We know we're going to be in paradise. We're going to be seated too. Jesus already spiritually sees us as seated in heaven, as Ephesians tells us. But we're physically going to be there one day, forever. Paradise is with Christ Forever. That's the goal. That's the prize. It shouldn't be about anything else. And so when we run with endurance, we're also just watching him. We're looking to him as everything because he is our everything. And so if you're in a dark place tonight, let the light and love of Christ shine on you. Shine in your darkened tomb to wake you up, oh sleeper. The easiest way to wake someone up, as my mom knew in high school, was to turn on the lights. You hated it. You really hate it. Turn on the lights. Some of you have that game where you go and turn off the lights again and crawl back in bed. And some of you are doing that spiritually too. You're willingly getting up and turning off the lights spiritually. You, you don't want to do any of this. But it's no accident you're here tonight. Like we talked about last week, the enemy's plan is to bury you and destroy you. But Christ wants to raise you and use you. It's, it's such a better option. And it's for you. It's free. It's grace. All you have to do is say yes. And it's yours. The greatest gift of all. So you can arise from your sleep. You can walk out of that grave. You can leave the grave close behind. We don't need no walking zombies. <laughs> you leave them behind. And you run the race. And you seek his face. Well, Keats, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't even know what someone's done to me. I, I, I I've got my own issues. There's nothing. No. Joel two twenty-five. In the midst of this Israel at this state of losing everything, everything. This is the this is our God in Joel. I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten away. God can do that to us. That's a truth about God. He can do that to you. He can restore to you those years. He's not afraid of your questions. You saw what Christ did for you. He, he, He took that path. And he ran his race and he finished. And some of you just... Here's the reality before I get to this last slide. Some of you are trying to run before you even use your legs, so you're going to fall flat on your face. And it's a marathon. Remember, it's not this sprint. And there's a process of growing in the faith. That's just honest truth. Maybe uh, it's like if you were to never work out a day in your life, only purposefully eat bad food and purposefully not drink water but soda, and then wake up on a random day and say, today I will run a 5K. What's going to happen unless you're Superman or Superwoman? Y'all, I know that y'all are different uh, at different spiritual paces, and our spiritual shape looks different. So I want you to take the next step with me, okay? Take the next step. Don't take two steps. Just take the next step. So in the last slide here, I've given you the steps of where you may be. Some of you just need, need to wake up. Got it? Yes. Some of you just need to go back to the gospel and hear that truth and accept this free gift of eternal life. If your soul's thirsty, you can drink, by the way. Some of you need to sit up. What does that mean? Well, maybe it just means coming come back this next Sunday. This is a small very small step. Come back this next Sunday. Stay awake through a service. Put your phone down for the entire service. Try that once. Maybe just give maybe that's your little step for this awakening. Maybe it's to crawl, baby steps as a, you know, a child that's learned to walk. They get up, but they're always, remember, their eyes are on mom or dad, right? They have a, they have a shot there. They're, they're walking, they're walking, and then a splat. Some of y'all need to take baby steps. So maybe try opening up God's word outside of Sunday. Reach out to your leader. Take a small step. Crawl a little bit towards Christ. Crawl. He'll take it. And then maybe you're going to get up. Your legs are going to get strong. You're going to recall a verse when we say, it, like, well, yeah, I read that yesterday. And this is what I think of that. Walk, volunteer at Sports World. Uh, be a faithful member in your huddle group. Ask good questions in huddle group. Open up to invite your leader out to lunch and really tell him something. Or just get to know them. That's mature too. Be open to group. Ha- start trying to have a daily time where you're seeking the Lord, not because you have to. Finally, run. Maybe you've been walking for years. Time to set a new pace. Say yes to the Lord. Maybe it's time for you to go public with your faith. And sprint. Run your race and seek his face. And finish. If you you look towards Christ, your finish line, your prize, you'll get there. Watch what happens to our uh, Jamaican bobsled team. And we'll go a little over just so we can finish the video.